Welcome to Script to Screen's Talks podcast. Script to Screen is a charitable organization dedicated to developing the craft and culture of storytelling for the screen in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Part of our annual program, the talk series, brings the creative community together to hear inspirational speakers delve into their creative process, craft, philosophy, or the broader creative landscape. In this late night talk held online in March 2020, we hear from Kiwi-born director and Emmy Award nominee, Jessica Hobbs. Some of her directing work includes The Split, Broadchurch, and multi-award winning show, The Crown. Jess talks to New Zealand director Rob Sarkis about what it's like working on an international scale, her experience working on The Crown, and her ambitions for the future. Shall we do it? Shall we go there, you know? Let's go there. Who's going to call action? I'd, I'd really like um, Jessica. I'd really, I'd really love. I'm totally not an actor. I'd really love you to call action on this. Would that be? Would that be all right? Just to, just to hear your intonation of action. I don't call action. <laughs> Great. <laughs> good, good answer. Hey, welcome everyone to the um, the late night or late night for us talk with uh, Jessica Hobbs, who's uh, joining us from well, from London. I think from London. Is that right? Early morning, London. Yep. Yeah, great. And um, thank you for joining us, Jessica. It's um, it's there's been huge interest in this because, um, well, we're all you know we're all proud and we're thrilled and we've all watched The Crown and uh, a lot of us have watched a lot of your other work, uh, in particular for me, The Slap and uh, and other and other things. And um, and I feel like we've just got about. Um, Sort of two hundred um, kind of sponges down here in the uh, down here in New Zealand, sort of all kind of ready squeezed, ready to suck in. So we're just going to go straight straight into it. Um, uh, we we did Jessica and I did speak last night, uh, and um, and you said to me, I have a bit of a rule: lean into what scares you the most. Yes, I do have that rule. So if I read something, and I think. If I'm incredibly grabbed by it, but I think that's impossible, I have no idea how to transcend that I, that notion to an audience, that's the kind of thing I want to go towards. Occasionally it can be something, uh, years ago I did a piece where we had to break the fourth wall where characters literally turned and talked to camera. And I remember thinking, oh, no, 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 no. And then I thought, well, just try it. It was, you know, so it's. I sometimes think it's great to go towards those things where your shoulders go up and you think it's impossible. Um, and I, I like to be scared when I'm working. It took me a long time to work that out, but I actually like to be. I like to be uncertain. I like to not know whether I can achieve what we're setting out to achieve. Um, that may sound really insane, but that is very much a kind of driver in the way that I work. When did when did that shift for you? Because I presume, uh, like most of us, when you started off, um, you probably liked the opposite because it would be it's all terrifying when you're just starting off. It is all terrifying. I know. It's still terrifying. <laughs> it's still terrifying. Yes, it's. Um, I don't know. I think it, it's it's constantly like that in the industry that we work in because every job's new. So every few months, you're working with a new set of people and a new set of circumstances in a new world, a new setting and a new time frame. So we have that naturally. Um, but I think I, it, basically, I went, I'd been working in Australia for a few years on a show called Heartbreak High. And it was wonderful. It was like a film school for me. And when I came out of that, I struggled a bit to be, look, it was it was not in the era we're in now. As a female director, you weren't seen as a great calling card. So I was kind of getting a lot of conversations around, well, this has got action in it and we're just not sure whether you can do that. And so I, I found myself getting very frustrated by the kind of meetings I was having. Um, and I got an opportunity to go to New York and I, I went there and I had three years working for a documentary company and it just kind of shifted my perspective in many ways not least because you have to be really ballsy in New York. And so I think when I came back to Australia, I then became much more able to, even if I was frightened, to go, that's the person I want to work with, that's the job I want to do. And that that's also where I became much more active about particularly seeking out writers who I wanted to work with. So that's something I've done across my career. If I see something, I'll often approach the writer and go and tell them why I loved it, what moved me about it, please keep me in mind if you've got other stuff going on. Because my work is, well, I guess everybody's is, but my work is very much in that deep core director-writer relationship. That It's that creative collaboration that I love the most. Um, 
And I knew early on I didn't want to be a writer-director. I wanted to be a director. And so you can't do that without a brilliant writer. You know, you need the two of you to work together. And so that was something that I think New York gave me, that kind of um, bit more bravery, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. And um, and so I guess <laughs> after, um, after years of doing that... Um, I mean, you, you sort of found yourself with uh, clearly a very average writer in Peter Morgan. Um, <laughs> so you must be horribly disappointed at where your career has gone. Uh, what, what, um, something you, you mentioned to me um, was that um, Peter, who, who writes The Crown, I'm sure everyone here knows that, um, or it's one of the writers, the key writer. The, 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 it's his show. You said his writing has scarily grown up, which I love. Yes. Yes, I would, uh, how would I best describe it? it? It is extremely economical. So from what you see on screen, often the, you're getting maybe a 41, 43-page script, which is going to turn into well over 50 minutes of very dense dr drama. So you have um, what I would call, you have huge, you know, big tentpole markers of scenes that are happening and extraordinarily both simple and complex dramatic structure. So he's very, um, I think his real gift is he takes a, an emotional, um, very detailed, almost kind of minor key thought, but puts it in a major key plane. And that's where you as a director, so he, what he wants you to do then is, we often joke about filling in the connective tissue. So he will, I mean, he'll literally sometimes write, Jess will do something here. I mean, he won't, but he'll go, He'll write, you know, montage, these beats will happen, but you decide what happens. And so you get given this amazing freedom to work dramatically in terms of, I know he wants us to leave the character at this point, and I know he wants the thinking process internally to get to that point. What can I do visually to take us through those steps? Mm. Um, and I do that in conjunction, talk to him about it. There was one stage on, on the, the first season I worked with him where, He'd put in a montage that that I'd I slightly misread, and I thought it was about the notion of falling in love. It was between Margaret and Roddy, and the kind of headiness of that. And he said, "Oh no, 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 no! It's not about falling in love at all." He said, "It's about it's about the absence of the other." Which, when I when I went back to the text, you could just kind of feel like it was there. It wasn't anywhere in the words, but I understood that he was by not putting. Um, Tony in there, he was talking about the absence of the other. And that led to me having an idea. We were, we were in Spain and going, uh, saying to the first AD, I know uh, that the actor playing um, Tony Armstrong Jones is, is here. Do you think we could have him on set tomorrow? I just want to do this moment with him where she's dancing and playing around, but she sees him briefly. And I said, and it may be awful. It may be an awful thing to do. He went, no, it's great, let's try it. And he said, if it doesn't work, you never have to show them. And I thought, oh, I love this. I love this first AD. Um, and so we did it. And I kept it kind of secretly there and my editor really loved it. And then we were having a screening, certain bits of it, and some stuff wasn't working. And, and I said, look, can I just show you something? And I showed it to him and he went, that's it, great. That's what I was looking for. I was like, okay. So I guess my, they are, extraordinarily um, crafted scripts, but there is a lot of space for you as a director to find ways to visually portray what the writer is reaching for. And that's the kind of magic combination I'm always looking for as a director. Mm -hmm. So that's has, what has, has that always been the norm for you? Is that, um, I mean, clearly you've, you now would seek that out. Um, had, did you, have you found that you know, because we're talking about one of the biggest shows in the world, uh, yeah, with yeah. with a with a, you know, a creator who clearly can you guys can do what you want now, which is awesome. Yeah, I presume yeah. you can uh, creatively. I mean, that sort of creative freedom. Um, have you had that sort of experience? Um, when was the first time you had that sort of experience where you felt um, uh, a freedom and a collaboration with the writer on a show? Uh, it would have been on Love My Way with Jacqueline Persky and Claudia Carvin, and I remember. I think we were all, I mean, we were all quite young. I think we were in our early 30s. And so we made the show we wanted to make. And we were making it, it was it was Foxtel's first drama. So it was tiny budget and kind of over here and no one was watching us. 
So we were just very free to go, do you like that? Do you like that? You know, it was really just the three of us kind of working together and a, and a really wonderful team of writers, but but Jack was the, the linchpin in terms of the tone of what that show was. And it was really, we talked a lot about how we wanted to feel, what we were trying to evoke, why we were telling the story. She wanted to, she and Claude really wanted to explore this idea of what happens to a family when the centre is taken out of it. So you're in a, you, you're, you're all these families where we have extended families, we break up, we we reform, but we stay together because of children. And if you took, if that centrepiece went missing, what could possibly maintain in the structure? And as soon as they described that to me, firstly, I cried. And also, I just thought, okay, this is wonderful. Now I understand thematically. And to me, that's what I'm always looking for. I'm looking for what, what thematically are we reaching for? What, what's, what's the gift for the audience to watch this piece? You know, what what someone alone in their living room, what what will be their, what will hopefully be their takeaway experience? And that's what I love about television and film is that you can hopefully reach through and give something to someone, you know, something that takes them out of themselves or reflects something back at themselves. Well, certainly the joy of watching The Crown, you really feel the um the the uh, the, the, the the thematic pull for for episodes, and I, I I certainly appreciate that the the theme um, is often like an onion; it kind of reveals itself as the thing goes on, and sometimes waits till the very last scene, and then you get that just delicious moment as an audience of going, oh, "I know what it's about." <laughs> and it's, it's 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 um it's drama for smart people. Yeah, yeah, I. That's well, a lovely which word. Is every, which is everyone, actually, but it's it's, yeah. it's assuming the audience is emotionally smart. Yeah. Well, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's. I think it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful drama about, you know, a, 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 a dysfunctional, you know, a, a family that's challenged, but it's also about duty and sacrifice on a on a global level and what it is to live your life in a permanently public eye, and that you know, I. I did not start this show, and nor would I probably say as a monarchist, but I have extraordinary respect um, for the Queen in particular in, in, in the life that she has chosen to live. Um, and it's, a, and it's a, such a great privilege to be, to have access to that. I mean, on a show like this, we have a, a team of, I think there's about 10 researchers, but someone does visual archives, someone else does visual imagery, someone else does all the books and sends you the quotes. And so you've got, you can ring up and say, I, I want the situation with Margaret. You know, I need her in a situation like this. I need her to be shamed. Is there something, was her birthday around this time? Was there something with her family? And then I can kind of feed that back and that detail back into Peter and say, could we just tweak the scene? So this is this is the setting. And if it and if it stays on theme, he's like, great, yep, no problem. So he's, you know, he's very generous like that. He's very collaborative. So you're you're working as a as a director um, routinely with the writer in a you're not he's not he's not or any writer is not just handing you over a script is what I'm hearing and then you're yeah. doing that script it's it's a lot of back and forth. There's a lot of back and forth and a lot of you know I've I've um, worked very hard over the years to to get involved very early in development so sometimes ideas come in it's through a book or it's it's through something. And, you know, I've worked with Pete and now this is my third season. So we talk most days. He'll ring up and say, I'm thinking about, can I just kind of basically sounding board you? And you just, it's with anything creative, it's just letting someone talk it out and then reflecting back to them what you're getting from them, what you think they're saying. And also sometimes in the process of doing that creatively, you discover what it is you need to say. I think I was telling you yesterday that I have a, a thing in the edit room when we when we're really getting stuck and going, we're getting myopic and it's like this isn't we're not reaching this. I'm not getting this feeling that I got when I got from the script. What is not working? It's clunky or it's that we kind of have. It's you know it's the five post-it rule. Sometimes it goes to seven, but it's like what are the five key beats, key emotional beats that we have to hit in the story? Essentially. Someone's going to watch this. They're going to ring a friend and go, "You got to see this. It's about a guy who blah blah blah." You know the, the the kind of three beats. And sometimes when we when we really force ourselves to narrow it back to that, put that up in the edit room, and you're like, "Okay, every cut we make has to speak to that." We're trying to jump those bridges, and how do we connect those 
emotional things. I was talking to you yesterday, I think about the um, Prince Philip and the astronaut story, you know, and that was one of the ones that scared me. I just thought, okay, great. It's 1969. Everybody knows that the moon landing worked. Like, how do I pull off the tension of that on tiny black and white television screens? Um, and also, on a much bigger meta level, this is a story essentially about a man who is having a crisis of faith, but it's told through his desire for adventure. And he's not going on any adventures. He's just in a palace the whole time. So what, what can we do to kind of uh, draw that out? Um, and that's when we started thinking about actually travelling with him in his mind, his, his perception of where they were going, and then talking to the visual archivist and saying, couldn't, she said, she said, it's all right, I've got NASA, it's great. Then all this footage arrives from NASA. <laughs> I've got NASA. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, okay, it's my first time on the job. I'm like, okay, I love this job. This is just, you know, it was brilliant. Um, um, and the same thing kind of, you know, I really loved using, I was really looking for kind of contemporary music of the time and wanting to use, uh, I really love using songs Sometimes in work, I just think that they can be really evocative and beautiful um, if they're specific to it. Um, and Peter really embraced that, which was great. So, you know, we do more and more of that now, which is nice. Well, I'm going to um, just sort of transfer over from writing. Um, we're going to gradually gradually work backwards is the thought here <laughs> to um, from, from working with the writer to, um, to, I suppose, putting... Well, I was, I was about to say putting the director's hat on, but you've always got the director's hat on because you are a director. Uh, uh, and um, one of the things that you said yesterday to me um, that, I mean, we all know, but it was so great to hear it said by someone who's working constantly at this level. Um, you're not shooting the script. It's going to another form. Yeah, absolutely. I... Your job as a director is to to take that script and transcend it onto the screen, to, to, to take all of that magic that's happening in the writer's head and give that sensation to the audience, as it were. So I, I don't, you know, I don't... So much of what it is, is is the conversation with the writer about what's happening between the lines, underneath the text, what's going on, what they're what their intent is and and not assuming that. So that's a, a big part of it as a director, I think. Um, and it's and it's thinking very deeply about how you can uh, evoke a sensation. I don't know, it might be uh, we would I was talking with someone the other day about the 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 beauty of Nomad Land because it's not a film about loneliness, it's a film about the joy of being alone. And that is such an extraordinary achievement, I think. Um, and so you, you're always thinking in terms of the mise-en-scene, you know, what, what atmospherically can I create that will give us that sensation, that feeling? And you're working with the actors to go, okay, what, what do you feel just before you enter the room with these people? So I'm always looking for, at the spaces in between, as it were. So you've got the, 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 the scene itself. What happens just before it? What might happen just after it? How might they prepare for that meeting that they're going into? And I don't need all of that in the script, I'll find those ways through it. But I do make sure that I'm constantly in dialogue with the writer about what I'm thinking of doing. Uh, someone like Peter loves to be surprised and it's great to just keep some things back and not tell him and then show him. Um, and you just have to kind of judge with the writer how that is. And, you know, I, I, I love um, working with them on set if they want to be. A, a lot of writers don't want to be on set and I, that's completely fine. Um, but then in the in the cutting room, that's a whole nother relationship that you're developing and, and talking between each other. And I just think keeping that thread is really sacred to me. There's a, there's a lot of, uh, strikes me that there's a lot of agency that you're talking about here, that you, you as yes. a filmmaker have consciously, and stop me if I'm putting words into your mouth, but have constantly taken or at least in your, in, in <laughs> now that you're, you know, as you've developed, you know, taken agency over, you haven't just gone, oh, my role is just to direct, I, I'm, you know, I'm trans, I'm, the writers have delivered the scripts and the producers are expecting those scripts to be 
to you know yeah. to be um, to, you know to be translated to be filmed. <laughs> um, yeah. that, that's a I mean it's a very creative way of thinking, right? And it's and I, I, I suspect that there's a few people uh, kind of watching this, um, and maybe you can think of your former self once upon a time, maybe, <laughs> who go, okay, well that's um, that's amazing and that's great if you're directing you know The Crown uh, yeah. and you've got this great relationship with this amazing writer and you're you know you're you've established yourself as a fabulous person. Um, but, you know, who know that sometimes the reality, especially back here, is that um, you are, you know, on, on smaller things, you're, you're handed something to shoot. And there's, there's um, I suppose, there's um, more prosaic expectations. Yeah, I think, look, I think, I think it's not just there. I think everywhere, you know, um, the world of television developed from a kind of produ producerial perspective. And, I have worked very hard to make a directorial, or, or that the, the director can work with the producer, with the writer, that they're, that they're equal voices in what's happening there. Um, I do understand, you know, I certainly can remember a, a, a lack of agency or a lack of sense of agency, but I think there are ways that you can work on that in terms of the way you communicate, uh, gaining people's trust, um, creatively getting in there and talking, having the very difficult discussions up front, I think, which are, can we all talk about what we hope to make here? And getting someone else to tell you the story back to you reveals so much of the way they see the piece. And I do that in those early meetings, the first meeting. I'm going to tell you the way I see it, and then you tell me the way you see it, and let's see if there's a kind of bridge between us, if there's a road we can walk together. Because if you don't, that is something I learned along the way. If you don't have that hard discussion up front, you could end up on a set with someone going, what are you doing? Mm. This is insane. This is not the way I imagined it at all. But you, you also have to build, you know, you need to be trusted as a director. I think you need a certain amount of freedom. Certainly when you're on set, you need to be, I mean, you need to be running it. You need to be, because the actors need to have one person that they're going towards. They they need to kind of understand who that is that's their audience for that period of time and where their direction is coming from. But I think that's... I, the, I, just, I think that's... I, I just, I think that's the norm for, you know, most directors would go, well, on set, yeah, they basically leave us alone. Uh, yeah. But there's, um, but there's the, the process before you get to set is, um, you know, can be a lot, um, can be for some oh, yeah. a lot more, sometimes a, a, a lot more controlled. It's, I mean, it strikes me that that's, um, that's about um, uh, making everyone feel like they're contributing to the thing rather than there being some sort of competition where the director's trying to take over from what the writer has written. Exactly. You're making it together, you know? You're making it together. I don't want, to, I don't want the writer to come on set and, and everyone to go, oh, the writer's here. It should be like, oh, my God, fantastic. Come and look at what we're doing. You know, this is great. And here's a monitor and da-da-da-da-da. And let's, you know, that, that, that's, you know, I've learned to do that, I would say. But also I have a real, um, I have a very strong belief that, People are on a film set in every position because they love the medium. They got into it because they loved it. It's, it's a hard industry. It's a freelance industry. Most people don't know when their next job is coming from, therefore where their next meal is coming from. And so I look for everybody. And, my, and I think, you know, one of the things I do a lot is, is tell everybody what the scene's about and talk about it and say, look, it's about these two people and this is the moment where this is about to happen. And so if we can just think about that, Everybody will engage in that. You know, the gaffer will do something with the lighting. Someone will be sensitive in the way that they're controlling the camera or, you know, you want to engage people. And um, I was out on a recce the other day and we were uh, talk, We were looking for a, a whole lot of stuff to do with horses. We've got huge sequences coming up. And, you know, everything worked except the, the water moment, what we call the water moment. And they were like, but that's kind of fine. I said, yes, except if you're in my head, the water moment is the moment. In that eight-page scene, that's the moment. And they all went, ah. And I said, so what we need to do is find the water and then everything else I can make work. And they were like, good to know. <laughs> so I think that's, you know, that's part of your role is you, you can't assume that everybody reads something differently. Everybody sees something differently. And that's the hardest thing as a director is people say, how do you see it? And I'm like, it took me a long time to have the courage to say, I can tell you how I feel it. I can I feel it like this, and then the images come as a result of the feeling. I don't start with those, and so that 
that is the way I work. I think everyone's got to be very honest with themselves about where their strengths are and where they where their storytelling comes from. Mm. Did it take you a long time to figure that out? Or did you know that very early on? I think I intrinsically worked from that instinctive perspective, but it took me a long time to understand that that was a strength, not not a weakness. If you because it's such a you know it's a, a in many ways it can be a brutally technical industry, and so there there was so many things to learn about what's going on. But actually, a lot of that there are so many people who are, you know most of your crew will have made far more productions than you'll ever direct in a lifetime, so they can contribute enormously to that technical. They just need some kind of guidance. And, and a lot of people, you know, I found that if you do talk emotionally, they respond completely to a feeling and then they start contributing palette and form and tone into that. So, you know, I, I would say tone tone and emotion are the two things that I, I think about the most and, and that's where I build the visual world from. Mm. And just, I guess, tangibly, um, you know, what, what, what sort of process would you go, do you go through um, to, to build that world for yourself? I mean, clearly, you spent a, a bunch of time reading that script and understanding it as a, yeah. deeply, as a starting point. Yeah. I, look, again, I have a couple of, you know, really kind of slightly sacrosanct processes. You know, my first read of a script is with the door shut, with no interruptions, with the phone off. And no notes. I never take any notes when I first read a script. I just read it because I want to sense it. I want to have a feel of it. I want it to wash over me. And I still don't take any notes after I've finished it. I get up and I'll do something, I don't know, go for a walk, something domestically. And then when I've kind of it's filtered down, I start making notes. What I need is is the big picture in my head. I want to see, you know, when I read a script, I see it immediately. So I want to see that film or see that piece and think about, how it makes me feel and what what what's moving me, what isn't, where the where the bits might be missing, what it is, you know, that I'm going through. So that's that's probably the first thing. And then I do start kind of thinking. Um, I, I start looking around for images or places or things that kind of evoke a feeling. And that, there's not a lot, maybe half a dozen. There's something that's just atmospheric or a person caught in a moment that I can then use as a kind of touchstone as I go through. You're talking about still images or paintings or what? Uh, what sort oh, of anything, really? Yeah. 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 Sometimes it's describing. I don't know. You see someone at a bus stop and you're caught by something. Um, so it's 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 those kind of things. Um, and then I I think you know I then start drilling down and doing a lot of um, analytical work um, in terms of what's going on for the characters individually. So the characters are having an individual journey and the story is having a kind of meta journey. And so I'm, I'm really trying to make sure that I can, um, that, I, that I've got the note of what the big themes are. And so I, when I go and talk to the writer, I'm like, this, essentially I think we're trying to say this about this person or this about this event. For me, it's so much, you know, it's good to know what, what's happening but that's not where I direct from. It's why it's happening. Um, and I'm not great with stuff which is very what's happening based. I, I, you know, there's some stuff which is brilliant and it's it's written really well, it's really clever, but I'm only going to unravel that. So I'm not, you know, I'm not the right person to do that kind of thing. Um, and then and then the next big work for me is, is, is casting and working with the actors, which I do very much on an individual basis initially having time with them. And again, it's getting them to tell me the story that they believe that they're telling. And that is so, it just gives you such a revelation as to way that the way they're seeing their story in the script. And that's when you start to go, yes, or <laughs> shifting, you know, as to what it might be. Tobias, when we were working on the, on the astronaut story, really, really, really struggled with the script in its initial form. He found it very... He 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 was struggling to trust that we could get there, and we we were going back and forth and back and forth. And eventually, I said, "It's not fundamentally going to change, and I don't think it should. I think this is really great." And he was brilliant at that point. He went, "Don't worry, this is my process. This is what I do. I just chip 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 chip." And I was like, "Okay, great." And I said, "Because 
it's you doing it, not me. I can't make you do anything. And you're the one up there. Not So if if you can trust me and I can trust you, then we can. And so that's when we started. I, I was like, okay, what are the things that are really disturbing you? And he'd say, you know, it's the way I talk about the astronauts after I've seen them. I'm like, okay, so maybe that's something to go towards. Why are you so uncomfortable? And then it was like a little unlocking for him about the type of behaviour, which is to do with shame and vulnerability. And often that's what you're reacting to, things that make you very uncomfortable. I don't, I can't remember where we started that oh, question. I don't, I'm it so sorry, matter, does it? I went from the You were talking um, uh, just um, as an aside uh, yesterday about that same uh, show, uh, and uh, about that same episode, I mean, and uh, you... Um, you mentioned that you had a a, 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 a great idea um, to to build a huge set, a zero gravity set. Could could you tell that story? Because it's it's there's there's something in there around the freedom to experiment when yes. you've got maybe that sort of budget, or I don't know, all those sort of people. Doesn't yeah. it sound like it's about budget? Either I, I, I yes, budget. I I asked if we could build the interior of the Columbia shuttle. And they said yes, which was brilliant, because I wanted to have a moment with Michael Collins because I w- I'd gone kind of done a deep rabbit hole of his experience because he was the only person who didn't see it. Well, not the only person in the kind of Western world, those people who had access to televisions, but in a sense he was never going to, you know, he was never going to have that experience at the other two. And I got very, uh, it made me feel how I felt he related to Philip in that way because Philip is always the handbag in the situation. He's always the person next door and that's what he was struggling with. And so uh, we built the set and we uh, we actually used the camera, a, a kind of rotating camera rig, which enabled him to float. We had a brilliant moment on it because I was like, I was, I was running it all at 50 frames and I was like, why is it so slow? And I realised that the actor, I went in and said to him, are you slowing it down? He said, yeah, yeah, because you said you wanted it slow my I said, no, no, I'm doing that with the camera. <laughs> he was so really, he went bright red. I went, it's complete. I, I love that you did I that. <laughs> I completely love that you did that. However, However we we've it. got technology here. <laughs> but when I showed it to Peter, he said, I don't, I feel it's taking us too far outside. And I was like, okay, you're right. But how, I mean, that's a privilege to work on a show to be able to do that and I was terrified that someone would come back and say, what were you thinking? But they were like, no, you tried it. It's okay. It, you know, and 99% of everything that I did ended up on screen. It was the one thing. But I do remember thinking how, how wonderful it is that they would allow me to explore an idea to that end. Um, well, it encapsulates um, this idea of having freedom to fail. Because if you don't have freedom to fail, which is actually within you rather than having to spend heaps yeah. of money to fail, yeah, does that res- that resonates that freedom to <laughs> Clearly. fail? Clearly, yeah. yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, I yes, I I I mean, one of my favourite things is to watch shows that 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 uh, that I think are brilliant ideas, even if they don't quite make it, because they'll lead to something else that therefore will make it, and I'm much more interested in that that reaching out and trying something that might not work uh, than, than playing it safe, as it were, or doing something that we know works from the past. I, I, I find that um, a kind of exhausting reference to, you know, is it, it's like this cross with this. I'm like, I hope it's like nothing we have seen before. That's, you know, I'm, I, I, that kind of referential stuff gets, yeah. I'm not great at that in meetings. Let me just say that. But um, <laughs> well, it's, it's, I do. Um, I do it's think kind of sales it's really talk rather than creative talk, isn't it? Yeah, a, yeah. Well, I know what I think it is, is is people trying to get a concrete sense of what it is they're seeing, and so you have to think about how to help them do that without necessarily basing it on lots of other things. Um, and there are different ways you can do that. But I I think the the notion of reaching for something, I'll often say, I don't know if this is going to work this is what I want to reach for, this is why I'm reaching for it. But, I'm, you know, there's no guarantees ever. And I find that a great freedom and creativity. And I'll say to an actor, well, why don't we try it? It doesn't, you know, all we can do is it doesn't work, give it a go, see what it is. Um, I much prefer that kind of uh, willingness to experiment and step out um, 
I find if things are too planned, I always like a little bit of anarchy on my sets, a little bit of uh, chaos. We had a little moment on the crown with the, the brilliant guy playing Roddy and we were uh, doing some stuff in the pool that wasn't scripted, but I really wanted to, I'd found this pool and thought, oh, great. And I knew Helena was up for it and he was great. Um, and we had an underwater cameraman and we had another camera up on the surface. And I just said, I don't want to rehearse this. Can I just let this, them go? and play some music, and, and they were like, yeah, okay, you know, and we needed to do it quickly, so everyone was very happy about that. So we started uh, rolling, and Harry brilliantly went and opened the bottle of champagne and drank it, and it was champagne, and I'm getting this tap, 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 tap on my shoulder, which I'm trying to ignore, going, I'm like, yeah, 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 I know, I know, I know, but it's so fantastic. Can we just leave it for a minute? You know, I'm not saying be unsafe. It was just, um, and he, he, it was brilliant because he kind of got a shot, but then continued and, um, yeah, it was fun. So I, I do I do think there's, sometimes there's a lovely opportunity to just embrace the chaos of the, you know, of time constraints and go, okay, let's let's see what we can do here. Let's just go, you know. And what you have to understand, though, is that generally you've done a huge amount of work, months and months of work to allow that chaos to happen because you've thought about, you've cast the right people, you understand the story you're telling, you've worked on costume, you've worked on the setting, you've worked on the lighting, you understand what it is. And then it's just allowing it to be alive in that moment because, that's what's so precious to, to the actors is to, to be in that moment, to, to you know, to um, not have a preconceived idea of how something is going to be played. How do you create the, um, let's just call it the safety net on your sets to allow and inspire your actors to... Um, to bear themselves, as you know, to emotionally bear themselves. I mean, uh, which of course is what we all want, and and clearly what you achieve, even with with actors of very high caliber, like incredibly high caliber, which which actually means they've got further to fall. Yeah, I yeah, I find that generally those actors are, are high caliber because they're always happy to take that risk. They are people who regularly cliff jump in the yeah. most spectacular ways. Um, and that's what I Why adore we love them. about. <laughs> yeah. um, but also it, it's trust. You know, I spend a lot of time with them. I spend time with them talking about text, but I also spend time with them talking about life. And, um, you know, I'll often ask, you know, what have been what have been good situations for you on set? What have been situations that have really upset you on set and that you you know that you'd like never to happen again? And so that from that you 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 start building a trust and you also understand their kind of trigger points. You know, is it is it for some people they kind of don't even want to know when action's been called. They like to just be in the midst of it and keep going. And other people really like a, a very calm, focused thing. And the challenge sometimes is you'll have two actors at either end of the scale in one scene. So you, you need to go, okay, I can have a little bit of wildness for this person, but I also need this person needs a bit of a, a safety net and quiet. So let's keep them in another room and they can just come in once we're rolling and take, you know, so they've had their respectful space. And it's really your job is to find what works best for them and what draws them out the most, um, which is not necessarily the safest thing, as it, as it were. The, sa the safety comes from trust and respect um, not manipulating people, not putting people in emotionally unsafe situations. I know we talk a lot about levels of intimacy now, which is great in terms of sex scenes, but I also think there's an enormous um, care needs to be given to the emotional uh, states that we're asking actors to go to, you know, to respect that, to give them space and time afterwards, to check that they're okay, you know. Sometimes they just want to keep going, and that, and, and a lot of that is the, the DPs and the people that I work with know that I like to roll and keep rolling. It's just, you know, I might even go in and have a conversation, but they don't, because you don't necessarily want to break the thread of what's going on. Um, and the other thing is I, I'm pretty self-protective around the monitor. I don't like people behind me. I like my space to watch because I'm connecting with them. And as soon as cut's called, I'm going to talk to them and then I'll remember all the other stuff because that's the stuff to me that's really precious, what, what I need to talk to the actor about. All the technical stuff I remember and I can come back to, but that stuff is, it's like it's ephemeral. It's a sensation that you've got and you want to convey it. 
Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm pleased to hear that because I, I often find the same thing myself around a monitor. I'll, I'll find myself um, influenced. So I'm, I'm the same yeah. at a much smaller yeah. level, but I'm the same. I, but I find myself, if there's a producer standing behind, directly behind me, especially yeah. if, this, if the time is ticking, I, I literally can't really see the scene because I can't feel the scene. Yeah. Which sounds yeah. your, so it's a relief. I'm not, yeah. just, I'm not just sort of paranoid and overprotective. No, the, and, and often they're not, but everyone's watching for different things. You know, there's, there's a, a absolutely brilliant Brazilian DP that that works on the uh, on the crowd, um, Adriano Goldman, who I, who I love, but I'd never been next to him at a monitor and he's very expressive. So he's like, oh, oh, and he's like, what is happening? <laughs> the first time I worked with him, I went, cut, you're right. And he said, it's beautiful. I'm like, okay, okay. Now I know that that's what you're doing. That's fine. But I didn't have any warning that that's how you were going to be during a take. So, and equally, you know, producers aren't, they're often, they're watching for all sorts of things. You know, they're, they're watching genuinely, mostly they're wanting to be engaged because this is, they've worked so hard to get everything to the point for all of this to happen in front of the camera. So, you know, but sometimes I'll just say, stand alongside me. If, if you're behind me, I find that hard. Or or can I set you up with another monitor and then do come and talk to me? It's not that I don't want to talk to me. It's just I just I just can't. I get to like white noise in my head. Otherwise, mm. I forget. Yes. I guess I guess one day we'll all just have VR headsets, won't we? And we'll just be... <laughs> well, I hope not. I think, yeah, I don't... I, I like... I like you would miss other things going on outside the frame sometimes and there are, you know, there are, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'd, I'd like to just segue to um, to, to talk about, um, well, I just noticed that we're different genders, uh, which is, uh, I think, very, very, very interesting. You just noticed, Rob. I just noticed. And, uh, well, <laughs> and I'm, um, but the other thing that I really know, when I look, look back at your um um, your, you know, your very early history back in New Zealand and your short film days and 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 before that, um, you I, I noted that you were a second AD on uh, Jane Campion's Angel at My Table and uh, and also uh, uh, Gaylene Preston's or uh, yeah. probably Dame I should put Dame before these amazing people's names uh, Dame uh, Dame Gaylene's um, uh, Ruby and Rata and yeah. uh, I I guess my question my first question around gender is to what extent were these you know, hugely inspiring figures from um, from the, the. I think we're talking the eighties, aren't we? Late eighties, early nineties. Um, a, a part of your and an inspiration for you, but more than that, a creative um, anchor. They were, yeah. Well, they were extraordinary, um, both of them. Um, and Alison McLean was around that time. Bridget Eichen, who was just phenomenal creative producer. Um, I, I feel like I, I, I came, you know, Nikki Caro was a friend of mine we, the, 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 and our contemporaries. There were, there, were, there were a lot of women working in the film industry at high creative uh, positions. And so I never thought you couldn't do it. I think I hit those bumps a bit later, uh, the kind of... Um, certainly I felt it more when I went to Australia and, and in television it felt slower and film felt that those voices were there Um less so in, in TV. But, you know, the kind of, I, I worked with Jane, I think I was 22, and at that stage, at Second ADs, you cast all the extras and you work, we did workshops with them and she always wanted your creative opinion. She engaged you in what she was doing. She would talk to you about why she was shooting things. I ended up having to first for three days for her because the first got sick, which was, terrifying but brilliant to watch that process you know she, she there was no managing it she was she would come to it when she was ready and that's what she was finding in the process and that I, I think back to that often you know um what is it that we're looking for you know sometimes I'll be on set now and and it's taken a long time to go ah, you know this just isn't working can everyone just can we just clear the set for five minutes just leave me with the actors and and they're great, and I and I've done that for years actually now. Which is, and sometimes it's even just because I can see an actor is really struggling, and they just all the tension needs to be taken out of the room. Just everyone go and have a cup of tea for five minutes. Just don't think about the schedule. Do that, and then you can move much faster from that point on. So, and I think I learned that kind of stuff from definitely from Jane. It was great, but also just 
I just never thought it wasn't possible because these women were all kind of leading the way. And the speed bumps? <laughs> Lots of speed bumps. <laughs> well, what well, sort of things? And, and more um, importantly than what they were, because I think we probably know yeah. the gen generality of, you know, of yeah. you know, male-dominated. You were telling me the statistics of actually female directors in, um, in the UK, and it's still pretty shocking. You might want to... Yeah, 13% you know is not a high number. Yeah, 10%. It's quite really yeah. shocking. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but I, I guess I'm interested in, or I suspect other people that might be interested in, um, I guess how you um, triumphed over those speed bumps, or did you yeah. take another road? Well, I think um, I, I think my per well, firstly, I'd say it is shifting and changing, which I think is brilliant, and I'm and I'm seeing it dramatically here now. Like I, I don't, I, I think I, I can't think of a female director who's out of work because there is so so much work on. But it's also supporting those ones coming up so that that when they get the opportunity they've got they can they can be mentored or someone's around them to help them make those big leaps um, that are going on um i think personally it was it wasn't necessarily i don't know whether it was a male female thing but i certainly suffered crises of confidence um and possibly the, the worst one, I worked on a production um with two two great people that i'd worked with before um, should have all been fantastic. The, these two people, um, the producer uh, and the writer, had a completely different viewpoint about the show they were making. And as the director, I tried to straddle those two view, viewpoints and lost mine. Mm. And it's the single biggest lesson I've learned. And, I, and even though it was very painful and very difficult at the time, um, and I didn't, I don't think I did great work as a result of it because I because I wasn't, I was trying to serve different visions and I wasn't really focused on what mine was. Um, but that was a great thing to take away. And now even when I'm rattled, I, I just think very quietly, just do what you think is right. Do what you think is best. That's the best that you can do and present that. And if it doesn't work, that's okay. But just do the homework, do the work and you know, you can take in other people's things, but don't do stuff for what you think other people want to see. That's just not helpful, I don't think. Um, so I would say it was more that. And whether that was, I don't know, I, 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 I don't have a lot of bluff and bluster. I'm very kind of thin-skinned and you'll know how I'm feeling and what I'm thinking. Um, and, and sometimes I'm amazed. I've watched some, you know, male directors have, They've got great front, you know, and I just don't have great front. But, you know, that, that may not necessarily be a gender thing. It's just not something I was born with. Yeah, I guess um, there's a, there was a, there seems to be a, a period, <laughs> it's probably a long time ago, where all directors was, it was the big brash, you know. <laughs> a lot of yeah. points, it certainly is what, is what I kind of grew up thinking that, oh, well, I guess that's what a director is supposed to do. And it never felt like, it never felt like me either, and no. um, and it's um, it's it's lovely, isn't it, to see a kind of a world where uh, we do embrace different styles, uh, different yeah. genders, different styles. Um, yeah. Um, it's um, yeah. <laughs> yes. We've gone past that time. We we hope. Do you do you seek out um, sort of a a, 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 a a good gender balance in your crew, or is that not so important to you? Oh no, that's really important. As much as possible, yeah, and and and, and as much as possible diversity, because that's a, you know, for a long time, um, and certainly it became really apparent to me when I moved to the UK. Um, this whole idea of kind of internships. This is for people who who have money, who don't need to, you know, who, whose families can look after them while they work for free. I just not up for that, you know, and it's the same with attachments or shadowing people. I felt for a long, long time women were, female directors were kind of put in as attachments or shadows and it's like, but that doesn't lead to work. So if it's not leading to work, then no, it's not, you know, either give them a second unit or give them a block or um, there's there's great shows uh, here. The Soaps are doing it now where they'll put um, a, a baby director on with a senior director and they'll work alongside. So, uh, if the senior director's doing, a, I don't know, a block of three episodes, the baby director will do one of those three, but they've always got the other person on set with them. That's a brilliant way of doing it. They get the credit, but they've also got the support and the production 
can breathe because they're they're not worried that you know all the wheels are going to fall off the bus and it, yeah. they're expensive those wheels when they fall yeah, off. Yeah, yeah. I think I think some of some of those sorts of initiatives are starting to happen here as well, which is which is great. Right. Um, there's a, I've got a, a, a reader question here. It's it's a uh, it's uh, on the on the gender question, <laughs> uh, gender issues. Um, what wisdom can you share for a female director walking onto set for the very first time? Oh, I would say listen to your instinctive voice, be yourself, don't be afraid to ask for help. Just just go on and say, this is how I see it, this is what I'd like to do, and and you'll uh, find your allies. There are, there, are, there are always wonderful, wonderful allies on set, and they can be really unexpected, but find the people who, who you can communicate with. Mm. Um, we're gradually working our way to the beginning. <laughs> uh, and so I'd, I'd, I'd just like to, um, to ask about um, you getting started. Uh, how, did, how did you get, actually get started as, as a director? You know, it was in New Zealand, which is good. And, and to frame that around, um, I guess, um, thinking back to your, you know, those early days, um, your advice for, um, for other people who might be watching who are, who are getting started. You know, we're, um, as I said, I, I think there's a lot of sponges here. <laughs> it's, a, it's, um, it's, it's, you know, directing, there's no, there's no straight path to directing. There's just no way. I mean, it, it is incredibly self-driven. So I would, I always encourage people to um, get ready for the opportunity is the way I describe it. So there, sometimes if I'm mentoring people, it's like, okay, go away and read the script. Tell me how you might think about it tonally or, you know, the opening of it. Now let's watch that film together. If I know they haven't seen the film. And then, and then you can see their eyes go, ah, and I'm like, okay, so that's your job. That's what you're doing. So, you can prep as a director in a lot of ways by doing your own homework, by analysing work, by looking at things. I would, you know, I did a lot of, um, every year I do a different kind of performance or acting course, which was deeply uncomfortable. I'm not an actor and I was unashamedly caught out by an acting teacher in New Zealand, actually, who said at one stage we were doing an improv in a car and I was sitting in the back seat having a marvellous time watching what the actors were doing. <laughs> She said, you're, you're just observing. Out you come. And I was like. Um, so I would encourage if you do it to, to engage, not to observe. But put yourself in the actor's shoes. Figure out what that's doing. Um, you know, if you're anxious about how gear works, I don't know, go to Panavision and, or do a workshop. There's lots of stuff around um, that you can educate yourself on. Um, and the other thing is, you know, you have to be really tenacious. I got my first job in the film industry because I – rang, um, I've forgotten Murray's last name now, um, who, was, who was producing, I think it was Never Say Die, the Jeff Murphy film, and I rang the office every day for two weeks to ask if I could be a trainee assistant director because I'd found out about the Film Commission running a programme. It's probably 20 or 21. And no, you know, da, da, da. and then I, and, and then on the, one of the days I rang, uh, they said, if you, he said, if you can be at the office before I'm back there, I'll take a meeting with you. So I ran <laughs> from a house in Mount Eden to wherever the production office was. <laughs> Two hours I waited in that production office and then he finally arrived. But I got that job, which was just the first rung on the ladder. So I do think you need a lot of tenacity. Um, you need to spend time thinking and, you know, building up your box of, of the kind of storyteller or director that you are. So that's something you can do as well. And um, be brave enough to talk about it. Tell people what you want to do. That took me quite a long time because I started as an assistant director and I, you know, I clearly always wanted to direct, but it was hard to find that thing. You know, and, and you're, you're in a place where uh, you, you've got a film commission which, which gives grants, but nowadays you don't need, I mean, anyone can make a short film. There was an exercise we used to teach at the, at the um, I used to teach in the master's program at Sydney briefly at the film school that I couldn't get into twice which I always used to tell the students. <laughs> um, so just having a place in film school doesn't mean you have a career after this. Um, but one of the exercises we used to do was, you know, uh, and we'd always do this at the beginning with the master students, which is, you know, you've got um, go away and make a three-minute film uh, that tells us about who you are, but you can't be in it. We want it tomorrow. 
And it was extraordinary what people would do. So think about the kind of exercises that you can do. You have an iPhone, you can make stuff that you're developing your directorial brain all the time by doing those things. I'm going to give you some um, some quick fires just from um, from the, uh, the some of the questions that are that are coming in. <laughs> we'll see whether they're quick fires or not. Actually, I missed one before, so sorry. I'm just doing a little scroll here because I missed one. Doing very well. That was about. Here we go. Where is it? Um, was about episodic television. Um, oh yeah. Oh Christ, that's a bit hopeless of me, isn't it? I'm sorry. Um, I, sorry. I'll go to another question, and then while you're answering it, I'll. Um, <laughs> what's okay. The, um, what's the biggest difference you've found between working in New Zealand and UK environments? <laughs> if you can remember working in New Zealand. Yeah. It was so long ago. I mean, the last thing I did in New Zealand, I think, was in 1994. So it really is a long, long time ago. And so I would say my career is in a different place. Um, uh, there is, there is. I don't know where New Zealand's at. Australia had a very um, two-camera um concertinaed system, much more like the US, you know, seven days to shoot an episode, an episodic drama. Mm. Here it's like anywhere between, it's usually around 14, I think, maybe, I don't know, 14, and then on something like I'm on, it's like 21. But you, um, but they're single cameras generally, which I really love, the focus of the single camera, because I think... While you can shoot, while you can cross shoot, and there are things you can do with two cameras, it really does bugger up your lighting. But also, it it shifts the focus. And my problem is, you often end up with two kind of average shots, that you, rather than you end up with two B shots rather than one A shot mm. and and a detail. Um, so I think if you're going to be using two, that's that's how to think about it. This probably isn't a fast question, but um, but I, I feel a responsibility to ask it. <laughs> I'm keen to hear Jessica's thoughts on story structure um, for miniseries and serial structure across the series as well as individual episodes as building blocks. Yes, that's okay. Uh, I think that's a big, that's a big think, question, but um, yeah. Well, I think I think the thing is, you know, I always think that one of the best examples of this is. It was Broadchurch, which is the first thing I came to the UK to do. And I was, I got to know the writer through a television festival, through other friends, um, and both huge admirers of each other's work. And he was wonderful. And uh, he sent me Broadchurch. I couldn't do it the first time. And then he, and then I ended up doing the second season. But he, um, he wrote that because he'd been writing a, a, a ton and show running a ton of other television, but that were other people's work. And he sat down and thought, I've got one chance, well, not one chance, but I've got a chance to write something just for me, and I'm just going to do it so I can enjoy the thing of writing, whether anybody ever makes this or not. And he wrote towards the thing that scared him the most, which was the loss of his child. And so that became the overall thematic, and then it was the detective story of how you would, why this might have happened and how you could lead to it. So I would say that when you're structuring you know, the beauty of long-form television, um, you know, you look you look at something thematic like Mad Men, which takes seven seasons for someone to come to terms with the, the childhood they had that they started with. So your overarching theme is something very, very big, and then your building blocks are the choices that you make of the stories that you're going to tell. So, for example, I find with Peter's work on The Crown, what's so fascinating, he, he has the arc across the whole series of what's going on for the crown, but then individually, it's which stories he chooses to shine a light on that build together to make a whole, episode, you know, a whole thematic across the the, the the season, as it were. Does that make sense? It makes complete sense, and you do make it sound so easy, and we all know it's not. <laughs> um, I'm. Um, our time is is pretty much up, and and I feel like it's quite a good time because you've uh, you've uh, you've reincorporated. You've come all the way back to the beginning with um with his, that that person's advice to lean into what scares you the most, which was um oh yeah actually where we started. So I feel in the interests of you know <laughs> round telling or something, <laughs> um, we um we should close off. I mean clearly um. Jessica, we could we could just keep going. Um, uh, it's it's been uh, incredibly rich uh, and incredibly useful, uh, and um, and actually for me personally, um, just really inspiring. I think to you know to see that um, the things that are made on this sort of scale that just feels so um, you know 
frankly, inaccessible when you're just sort of making small New Zealand productions, um, are made by real people who yeah. have a... Uh, have a have a real creative soul and a collaborative soul. You know, they're not. You know, we assume sometimes that sometimes the big American things they're just all made by, I don't know, people you might not want to hang out with. And uh, um, it would be lovely. Michael Bay shouting. <laughs> I very much enjoyed it last hour. And can I just say, Robert, how how beautiful it is to reconnect with you after so many, you know, thirty odd years, but also that we're both still working in an industry that we started off as short filmmakers and how fantastic that is, you know, to that you can have a long career as a director. I think it's great. Yeah, well, we, you know, we, 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 we dig it out somehow, don't we? <laughs> we, do. we do. We do it because we love it, because you'd do it anyway, even if no one was around, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, thank, you, thank you so much, uh, Jessica. Uh, I know we all, um, we all appreciate it, and um, I have loved it myself, and I'm, I'm sure, in fact, I think I'm seeing comments pinging through now, so I'm sure we'll send mm. you a little, a little selection. And um, we, um, yeah, we do hope that you come down here sometime uh, for one of well, the Extreme I, Symposium yeah. or something when you're allowed to, and because uh, we'd, um, we'd, we'd love to all meet you in person. We, um, yeah, much kudos. The talk series is proudly supported by the New Zealand Film Commission, Foundation North, and Images and Sound. Music for the podcast was provided by Poddington Bear, and voiceover is Lucy Wigmore.